Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Bedroom Talks podcast, where we get financially intimate. Today, we're talking to a serial entrepreneur, John Papaloni, who has gone from bust to an eight-figure business and back again. John is the CEO of Papaloni Capital, a licensed realtor and a mortgage broker. He has helped people build generational wealth through real estate investing, whether by helping them acquire their own property or by joining his syndications and joint ventures. John has a wealth of experience in the real estate industry, and he's here to share his insights on how to overcome challenges, achieve your financial goals, and build a legacy for your family. So get ready to learn from one of the best in the business. Hey, y'all. Get under the covers and get comfortable because we're about to get intimate. No, not that kind of intimate. Look close. Did you know that three of the most intimate conversations we can have are sex, mental health, and finances? Probably didn't expect that last one, did you? Financial challenges are actually one of the leading causes of divorce and stress today. A big reason? We don't talk about it. At least not thoroughly, anyhow. That's where I come in. Hi. I'm Dr. Michelle Marie, a certified wealth coach, best-selling author, and the creator of Bedroom Talks. Get Financially Intimate, a podcast focused on bringing awareness to the importance of financial intimacy and enticing openness to get real in a judgment-free zone. Together, we're going to cover a multitude of financial topics so you can leap toward financial freedom with confidence. Are you ready? Grab your wine or whatever drink you prefer and let's unrobe this topic. All right, all right, let's get this conversation going. Don, I am so excited to have you uh, as a guest. Uh, as, as many people know, I have not been doing guest episodes very long and I have the absolute pleasure of having you be the first person to come on and talk about real estate. Uh, which is super exciting because it's one of the best avenues for wealth building. So I am very, very interested in hearing what insight and advice you have to recommend to uh, my listeners and shoot, maybe even myself. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast, John. Absolutely excited and delighted and, uh, you know, bouncing off the walls, happy to be here. Super excited. It's awesome. Um, Okay, so I know that the intro that I gave you is, you know, absolute perfection and all, but it doesn't always give everything that really we're looking for. So what I like to do is kind of ask a little bit of a little bit more about my guests, right? So what I want to hear or what I like to understand is what the heck got you into doing what you're doing, right? Like, yeah. Was it a passion or did something happen or or what? Like talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, well, it's actually, that's kind of an interesting story because I didn't actually never plan to get into real estate, not through investment, not through, um, you know, through a license or even do mortgages. And I, I grew up and my uh, parents were landlords and they were uh, infatuated with real estate. And I used to look at them and say, why are you so obsessed with four pieces of drywall? Who gives a rat's butt? about this. And that was the kind of the attitude that I uh, took when I was young. 
And but as I got older, things changed, and I had a marketing business, and that's the one I sold. And then uh, I got into this online media, which I was building. That was my next venture because podcasting and well, back then it was radio. Radio was my uh, passion, and I love to be on radio and all that. And I and I didn't had a little bit of that, so I tried to replicate the FM dial, but online. And back in the day when we had Blackberries, I used to have my Blackberry app where you can tune into my online radio and play it through the car while you were driving to the nightclub or whatever. You get to hear us being live at different locations. So it was basically FM dial online it was pretty simple it was really good and um then my parents got sick my mom got sick even when i built this she had alzheimer's so her downturn was expected unfortunate but expected it's not like you woke up and saying we didn't know how could this happen no i mean alzheimer's is a long time thing it's kind of a disgusting sickness i mean not disgusting as in you know i mean disgusting as in the sad because people really it's like they pass away twice because they lose their mind they don't recognize anything or anyone, you know, so imagine waking up and everything around you is a strange thing and the people keep talking to you and you don't know who they are and you're in your own home. That, that's kind of scary if you think about it. Yeah. So and, and then so people lose you twice because then when you, you you lose that your identity and then you lose your life in the end. So not anything I wish on anybody. But regardless, moving forward, she went into a home and then my dad got sick shortly after that. Then I stayed home with him for a bit. And that's kind of where my uh, funds were kind of bleeding at that point. And, you know, I tried to keep the thing open with everybody but me running the business and having paying everybody for everything. And as a result, you know, you went from profit to loss. So after a year of losing and it was a $30,000 loss, I said, I don't know how long I'm out for. So I better uh, just shut down. And that's what I did. I shut down that avenue. So then it came down to, I went two, three years of not working at all. So that came, then what do I do with myself? Now my parents, now both of them are in the retirement home. And my dad, you know, decided to go and join my mom at the home. And uh, after, you know, different things happened. So he decided to go there and uh, I'm home and I'm going dee, 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 da. And I thought, okay, three years of not working time. I do something. What do I, what do I want to do? And opening up the old business was pointless, starting from scratch is, you know what I mean? And, and things have changed. So I started thinking, what did I like? And I noticed that I'm going to open houses. And I'm going, why am I going to open houses? I'm not even looking to buy. And I feel sorry <laughs> for those realtors showing me, you know, letting me in and all that. And they're like thinking, you know, they're going to get a sale out of me. I'm not even looking. But I'm going and I was finding it fascinating. Then uh, my parents with the with the rental properties, I remember going to pick up rents with them, or they, you know, and going to fix things and whatever. And I just I just started getting fascinated by that. Now I, I didn't understand the obsession with it, as I said earlier, but I still found it the whole process fascinating. So mm-hmm. I thought, since I'm going to open houses and I'm spending way too many times, you know, doing this, why don't I get into this and I can make money doing this? And then uh, that's what made me uh, get my uh, license. And that was uh, uh, roughly eight years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, well, by the time I got licensed, because it takes about two years to get your license here, roughly. I mean, you can rush it, but I, uh, I'm i not the type to rush it. I just went through the course one by one and uh, took me two years, basically. Gotcha. Now, for clarity, uh, just in case, you know, we, we have anyone uh, listening from different areas, you are in Canada, correct? Yes, I am. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Okay, so you are a um, realtor in Canada, uh, which 
may likely have a little bit of differences <laughs> than here in the United States, right? <laughs> yeah, there's some. Some stuff are some, uh, but not too much. Yeah, like I'll give you. I can give you one prime example. When we put an offer on a house, we put in a deposit, and that deposit it gets held by the realtor brokerage. Now in the U.S., it's held in escrow, and it's usually mm -hmm. your whole deposit, not just a down payment. So, like prime example here, our, our offer would be maybe just say twenty thousand dollars. That will get put, the broker chose that twenty k. It's usually five percent, which is equivalent to what the commission rate is, um, and that's usually put aside. Over there, there's escrow. So if you're putting down 100K, that whole 100K would go into an escrow until closing. So a little bit different, but the concept is the same. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, you know, there, there was a passion that was developed, but more so because, um, you know, your experiences over time put you in the position of seeing certain things, but also life circumstances put you in a, a position where you have to make a choice on what the heck am I going to do? And you decided that, well, there's this opportunity and I'm passionate about it. I might as well capitalize on it versus, you know, just doing something else. Yeah. And later on, I developed uh, what I, I figured out what excited me about it, which led me into the investment corpse and all that crap. Um, because what ended up happening is what I come to realize why I keep calling it four pieces of drywall that have no meaning is because I learned that I don't give a damn about the damn product. I don't care about the house itself. I care about the opportunities and the value it brings to families. Mm. Right? Like, I mean, the walls itself, yip-de-doo. Whether it's white walls here, white walls at your place, white walls wherever, it's still white walls. Mm. But that, and, and you know what? I always had that. I always had the luxury of having that home. I never knew what it was like to not have it. So I took it for granted, so to speak. Mm. Right. And you don't realize it until you become completely independent. Right. I mean, I'm European and many European families, at least here, you know, you live with mommy and daddy until you get married. So reality is a lot of the responsibilities that other people have. You never really get it until you're older. So it's easy to take certain things for granted. That's a good and, point. Yeah. So then once my parents got sick and uh, and they moved out or moved to the home, then all of a sudden I landed with responsibilities that I never had before. <laughs> Big wake so, up call, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that was kind of a, a wake up call. And then that's when I kind of learned. Right. So, yeah. so from there, then I started seeing different values and I started experiencing the same emotions and feelings everybody else got to experience that I never got to like the getting the keys to your first place. That was your own. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, it's fine and dandy. I lived in my dad's place or parents place, should I say, and it was fine and dandy. And I loved the lack of uh, responsibility, right? Cause it's worry free. Right. I mean, if you're, you're, you're like, I was stressed, but I was self produced stress, not stressed because mm -hmm. I was you know, it was, but when you go and you get the keys to your first place and I bought a condo, that was the first place I got on my own and I got the keys and I was so proud and I thought that's amazing. It was a new construction and I love it. Yada, yada. And, and uh, a month I, later I, you had to make a payment. <laughs> yeah, then that's when uh, reality <laughs> set in. I was like, Hey, wait a minute. I thought I had 30 days. Oh, it's been 30 days. How's this going so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> right and you got rent or, or mortgage i should say you got insurance you got utilities you know all the things and then oh by the way not to mention all what you have to do to furnish the place 
I was very fortunate because when we sold my, I sold my parents' properties, all okay. of them. And uh, I used the furniture from the old house. And that's how I started because I looked at it. I had it and I've been using it my whole life. I know where it came from. So it was one of those things I said, you know what? I'm not in a position to go out there and start uh, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on, uh, on new furnishing just because I think it's more modern. So I said, let me start and do things the normal way. I'll start with what I have. Move, you know what I mean? Like, and I moved everything over. And as I earned more and I built more, I started taking things out one by one until I had what I wanted. Nice. Nice. I like it. Um, okay. So here's what I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking about the person that is, you know, they're, they're thinking about starting something, you know, maybe, maybe they have some extra free time and they're like, you know, I've really been thinking about this, you know, real estate thing for a while. And, you know, I, I'd like to kind of understand more about it and consider getting into it. What would you recommend from your experience from the start with, we'll just start, start this conversation off with, you know, they're, they're just kind of sort of interested in it, but they don't really know what direction to go in. Where should they start? Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, investments or in terms of uh, getting a realtor's license? Uh, why don't, why don't you do both? Right. In terms of getting a realtor's license, question. do not. Do not. <laughs> okay. Right. It is a lot more expensive than it sounds. And I mean, again, there is a possibility of profits for uh, a lot of people, not everybody. I mean, reality is 15% of the realtors make a living, 5% make the wealth, 80% are starving. And that's the true stats. Now, I may have adjusted now with the new times and the new interest and blah, blah, blah. But when I got in, that was really the stats. Now, the issue I have with it is, I mean, if you're, if you're doing it because it's a passion, there's no question. And if you're doing it for a passion, you love it, and you want to become a realtor, go do it. If it's you're doing it because I'm concerned, oh, there might be opportunity, yada, 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 I'm going to leave my job and all that crap, it's expensive. It's that first year. Now, I don't know that every place, every state, every country might be different, but the first year that I got into it, my expense was 10000 bucks to get in. Mm -hmm. That was in the door. You know, when you calculate school, getting the brokerage, paying all the fees, you know, and then there's admin fees and all that crap, right? Mm -hmm. that, the, and then on, on bare bottom every year is 5500 Now, because I belong to more than one board and I expand because I want I want to know everything about everything, I subscribe to a lot of things that most people wouldn't. And um, because of that, my uh, landed expense is still about 8000 a year. So yeah. it's not a cheap thing. And, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they make forty grand. No, no, no. You sell a million-dollar home. There might be a $40,000 commission. Now, let me work out that, break that down. $20,000 goes to the buyer's agent. $20,000 goes to the seller's agent. From that $20,000, now you have to take out your brokerage fees. Now, let's say the average out there is 20%. So that means forty that $4,000 of that twenty goes to the brokerage. So now you're left with sixteen. Then um, I think, what is it? Uncle Sam is going to take, uh, I, I, out of that 16, is going to take about 7,000 of that. So you're left with $9,000. Mm -hmm. Sounds great, right? But I just told you, your first year is going to cost you 10,000. So you had a negative 1,000 on your first sale. Wow. And and the average person sells zero to one homes a year. So you tell me how, what those numbers look like. Yeah, that um, it kind of sounds like what happens if you actually are lucky enough to win the lottery. <laughs> right. You walk away with a whole lot less than you think you got. <laughs> yeah, it's uh again, it's not impossible. And if it's a true passion, 
it's worth the long haul. But if you're doing it as an opportunity, there's other ways to make money that can give you better opportunities in real estate than being a realtor. Right, right. Also, it takes now, away from your family too, because now you're working evenings and weekends. If you want to yeah. be in the market, think about getting becoming a mortgage broker. You become a mortgage broker, you still have again, banks are closed at 5 p.m. Banks aren't open on the weekend. Good luck in getting anything done. So, what's the point of doing work at night or on weekends? Right? Gives you the opportunity to still do something. There's still a cost being a, bro a mortgage broker. But it's, I would say it's maybe 40% of the cost of a realtor and you mm. still have your weekends and evenings to be with your family. On top of that, again, you know, it's all in the business, but I'll let you, you were going to say something. I'll let you continue. Yeah, no, I was, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you if you can explain the difference in layman's terms between a mortgage broker and a real estate agent. Yeah, absolutely. One provides loans, um, but you're always at the mercy of the uh, of the lender. The broker really just finds you the best deal. Now, my my advice is never go directly to the bank. And a lot of people get surprised there. Now, again, I could talk from my experiences. Um, the banks, look, prime example, every time you go get a loan, your credit's being zapped. And every time it gets zapped, your score is going down. And every time it goes down, your ratings go lower. And every time your ratings go lower, you pay more in interest. And that's just mm -hmm. the way it works. When you go to a bank and just, just say you, you guys have Royal Bank there, just say you go to a Royal Bank, you get zapped, they give you one rate. You go to another bank, they're going to zap you again. Now, here's where the difference is. If you go to a broker, like if you pull out your Equifax and you say, here's my Equifax, the bank's not going to accept that. If you go to the broker they're going to pull your credit score. They're, you're being zapped once and they can use that to shop it around for you because the banks will accept it from a licensed broker. Mm. So you're being zapped once instead of being zapped every day kind of thing, right? Gotcha. And then our job, and we have a lot of people think that, oh, well, I want access to the banks. Well, I got news for you. 75% of the banks subscribe to the broker channel. So the majority, more than likely, whatever bank you want to go with, if you can go, if you will get approved with the bank, you'll get approved with the broker just the same. If they can't get you that bank, it's not because they're not on the channel. It's because that bank won't qualify you. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's good information. Um, okay. So let's switch over to the investing side. That Getting is started. the fun part because <laughs> that is long-term. That it has many opportunities and you can do that regardless of the job you have. So what I like about that is now it takes a long time. You have to decide what kind of investor are you going to be? How are you going to start? Now, one thing I want to say is that if you're looking to be a flipper, that is high risk. And, you know, a flipper is one of those guys that go out there, buy a property, renovate it, sell it for more, repeat. That is very risky because look what happened. If you bought a home to renovate in January, 2022, and you bought it just say at 700,000, thinking that the market value sells for 1.1. So you got $400,000 to play with in rentals. Rentals are going to cost you just say, you know, let me rephrase that 700,000. You bought it for market values, 900,000 for for the whole average property, you got 200,000 to renovate. You over renovate more than, you know, your house looks like the best on the block. And now that market value after it's renovated is roughly 1.1. Sounds great. You're going to make a couple hundred thousand, right? 
Now, what happens when, uh, first of all, construction workers, if anybody's dealt with them, you'll realize they're always late. So then they say, whatever they say three months for, budget seven months. And that's just the way it is. And a lot of times they're going to say, okay, well, they just need to replace some walls. Yes, but when they open up the walls and they find mold behind the walls, they're going to fix that. That's going to mm-hmm. delay it, and that's going to cost more money. So I'd, I'd add an extra 30% to the budget as an emergency. So that being said, pretend everything goes on time. Pretend everything's on budget. Nothing, None of this happens, but they tell you it's going to take uh, 90 days. So you, bought, you, you put the offer in January. You closed February. So now February... March to April. Oh, wait, what happened in April? Interest rates started going up. What happened to the market? Went down. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, that 1.1 you want to get, it's not you're not even gonna get the 900,000 you spent by the time you sell it. Because now everyone once the market starts coming down, everyone believes that it's gonna keep crashing. So what do they do? They put the brakes and they wait and see. Mm-hmm. When they put and now you're on the market even longer, so all of a sudden a new interest rate announcement. Oh, it's going to go down. Things are going to come back. It goes up again. Now people are scared. Affordability goes down. Now they now it's not even whether or not they're interested in your property. Can they even get approved for a mortgage at that price? So next thing you know, you just did a full renovation that you're now paying high interest rates for because you, you probably did that uh, construction on a construction loan and that's like or like some form of a line of credit so your interest rate just went up so you're paying more no income from that property you're trying to get rid of it and you can't even collect what you spent on it now you got a problem yeah. and there's a big risk in that in flipping i'm not saying you can't make money in flipping i'm just saying that it's there's bigger risks the way to get, yeah. in, you know, and that's not generational wealth. That's a business. You want to build yeah. generational wealth? Now we're going to come into the kind of real estate that I love. Buy and hold. Now, it's slower. There's nothing sexy about it. In fact, sometimes it's kind of boring or annoying. But it does the job. And here's what I mean. Now you buy a house. Now, if you buy a place and your opportunity to do value-added improvements See the difference? Now you're improving for rental ability. You might take a home that ha- that is built for a single family home. What if you're able to divide that home into two and create it into a duplex where you collect two rents? Mm. That's opportunity. You can do what they call house hacking. Create into two rents, live in one, rent out the other. You're living almost for free. That's an opportunity. Then when yeah. you save another down payment for another house and you qualify for another mortgage, you rent out that other side, you move into the other property. That's an opportunity as well. Now, I like what's called multifamily. And here's what I mean. The qualification on a single family home is based on your income. And it's based on how much you make and there's only so much you can... Up till now, it's the average has been about five times your income. So if you make 100 grand a year or your family income will say, so just say the family income is hundred grand. That means you guys can qualify if it's a couple or not a single person, I'm assuming. You guys qualify for $500,000. Today, that is going to be more like three and a half times. So, 
and I'm going by averages. So there's certain exceptions, whatever, but let's go by average numbers. So as you saw, that buying power has just dropped. Mm-hmm. So again, trying to qualify for a second mortgage is going to be very, very hard. Now, when you go with multifamily, not only are you mitigating risks of renters not paying, because you have that single family home, your renter doesn't pay, you're collecting zero. Now, you take a multifamily that's, we'll say, a sixplex or higher, mm-hmm. that's considered commercial. What are the odds that all six people are going to stop paying you at the exact same time? Yeah, right. pretty low. One or two people might have trouble, but you still have four rents, so the burden isn't as high. It does not mean that it won't hurt. It does not mean that you'll have to do something about it, but it means that it's maybe going to buy you more time so you don't feel an immediate threat. Mm. Right? And here's the other thing. On a sixplex, notice that it was when I was talking about the mortgage, you know how much you can borrow for a sixplex? Nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the performance of the property. Hmm. I mean, the fact that a, that a lender will not lend you money if you don't have a job, that 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 is just because they won't lend you money when they have a job. But whether you make $50 at your job or 50000 they don't give a damn. It's just the principle of you having a job. <laughs> right? So, yeah. Right? So then uh, once you have that and you get approved for the multiplex, now you're based on that and the scalability of that is infinite. Mm. Now, here's the catch. If you've never had real estate background and you're going up to a bank and said, I've never owned a piece of property. I'm renting where I live and I want a $20 million loan to buy an apartment uh, building uh, that has 100 uh, apartments in there. You bet your butt they're going to say no. Yeah, pr- pretty unrealistic to take that on. <laughs> right. The reason I'm where I'm going with this is the reason I said start off with that single family home is because you're going to build that experience. Now, if you bought a single family home and you have five, six, seven, or eight of them, and you've showcased that you've been managing eight single family homes and collecting rents and you never missed payments and you showcase that, then you can convert that, that, that eight, those eight homes into a 12 plex. And from that 12 plex, you have that experience as well. Now from that 12 plex, you can go to a 24. You see where I'm going? They're now approving mm-hmm. you based on your experience and based on the performance of the building. Now, mark my words, after 12 to 24 to 48, next thing you know, 10 years down the road, you've managed a 48 you know, unit building and you're going in for that 100 unit building. Well, I've managed 48 units and never missed a payment. Wow. Okay. We'll take a chance on you. Now, some of that $20 million loan that you're after, you, you're, here's a guy making 80 grand a year with a $20 million mortgage. So it's kind of like a credit score with buildings though. Right. Like, again, because a lot of people talk about multifamily, like it's easy. You're just going to go out there and you're going to get it because it's on the property. They're going to give you that $20 million loan. No, they're not. That's why a lot of the other way around it is you get into a joint venture with somebody who's already doing it. And you can get into that syndication or joint venture, whichever one, and partner with the person who's already established themselves with the loan, with the lender, who that lender will lend to. And then you get known based on the experience with that person. But I always suggest don't just jump into it because when you jump into anything with a partnership, you're kind of stuck with it. So you want to know what you're signing on for. So that's why I always say start small by having your one or two units by yourself so you understand exactly what you're signing on to. 
And once you get more comfortable and you know what you're signing on to, then you can decide how big you want to scale it. I like it. I like it. Um, so I, I want to go back for a minute talking about the, like the, the real estate piece, the license piece. Um, we, what I got from that conversation based on your perspective is, you know, passion is where it's at. If there's no passion in it, it makes no sense to do it. And you got to understand when, even when you have the passion for it, it you're in it for the long haul and you're going to have some good times and you're not going to have some not so great times. And then what I took from the other part of the conversation with the investing piece is flipping um, is all about risk and what level of risk you're willing to take and what you really kind of sort of can afford to take, right? Yep. Factoring that in. And then uh, the other side of it with, um, you know, the, not the flipping, but the actual, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, Investment part. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about the correct terminology to use there, but, you know, basically becoming a landlord in a sense, you know, for a while, that concept is, I mean, it's, there's some risk involved in that as well. There's trust. Um, there's the, you know, the building phase, you got to have some patience, you know, as well as, you know, using some wisdom, right? That's what it sounds like to me, some of the, the things that you want to factor in as you're considering these decisions. Does that sound about right? To a point, to a point, yes. Now, the key thing here is that you want to use professionals. Uh, like, it's definitely important important to find that a realtor that you want to use that you know like and trust someone that you can blindly trust and i don't mean blindly by not doing your due diligence i mean blindly as in you don't have to question whether or not you made the right decision you mm -hmm. feel confident about it you've dealt with them before maybe in other aspects of your life you, you got a highly recommended by someone that you would trust your life with you know what i mean somebody that you know is going to actually truly look out for your best interest because there's a lot of due diligence in there and they're going to come in there and help you with that due diligence and that's important uh, you know a trusted lawyer a trusted realtor a trusted uh, mortgage broker you know what i mean all that stuff is going to be very important that's not someplace you want to save money on because when they're mm -hmm. at the end of the day we'll take an example if you're going to work and your boss just said i'm cutting ten thousand dollars off your salary and i expect you to put in a hundred percent if you showed up to work the next day let alone put in a hundred percent it would be a question mm -hmm. and so why would anybody that you tried to cut all of a sudden be after your best interest. Yeah. Right. So it's logic. Now, again, going with the whole uh, investment thing, like the, the term you should be looking at for rentals. If you're going to get that long-term rentals, I believe you never sell it, never sell it until you're done working and you just want to park the money somewhere and live off of it. And you don't give a damn anymore. That's my opinion. But again, I, at the beginning, I also give you a portion of how to scale up and in a timely manner so at some point in time you're gonna sell something now i would aim to hold on to things for at least somewhere between seven to ten years mm. and why i say there's minimal risk in this just the eight years down the road you wanted to sell it and you wanted to progress housing just went down it went down three hundred thousand. no problem hold on to it for another five years it'll come back up yeah. the stock market will not do that if you got went to zero you're at zero yeah that's a good point. 
Um, okay, a minute ago, you mentioned some people to have in your pocket. So specifically for investing in any way, shape or form that you do it. Who are the key players outside of you that you mentioned having the, the real estate agent, unless you're already licensed yourself, that you would trust? Mortgage broker, broker. Yeah. lawyer, lawyer, as well as a home inspector. I forgot to mention that one. Now, if Good you're going to do renovations, because you can always buy a place that's already done and ready to go. Mm -hmm. Right. I just gave you the renovation as a value added opportunity, but it doesn't okay. mean you have to do that on the, you could buy a place that's already rented, not already rented, already, you know, ready to rent. It's moving ready and then just rent it. It doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. if you want to buy something extra low, put in some work and get just a little bit more, that's an opportunity, but it's not for everybody. Sometimes that's overwhelming. And if you feel overwhelmed, don't do that on your first project. Buy one that's mm -hmm. ready, moved in, ready, get people in there, get used to it. Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, yeah. you still want a home inspector because sometimes you think everything's hunky dory. Because we, let's be honest, everyone goes in to see the, their first home that they're going to buy. What are they looking for? Oh, the pretty little counters. Oh, it's granite. Oh my God, look at the bathrooms. Oh, it's so pretty. And reality mm -hmm. is, you can have friggin' uh, pests in your attic crawling. You can have termites. You can have mold building up there, where it's going to make you sick after you've lived in there for so long. You know, there could be so many things going wrong that you don't see. And because you're looking at the pretty counters, you're not looking for the problems. And sometimes mm -hmm. you don't even know what they look like. Right. So it's best to have the home inspector for the $300 or $400, whatever it is. It is better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. And I would imagine for anyone who's doing any type of construction, having a good uh, contractor or two in your pocket is a good idea as well. 100%. Cool. 100%. Anyone else you can think of that you would recommend having like, you know, at least on your Rolodex, you know, I don't know when to really use the Rolodexes anymore, but you, you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, once you get into the whole uh, construction thing, if you're going to go that far, that that point in time, you want to have uh, two or three plumbers, two or three electricians, uh, two or three um, plumbing, electricity, and uh, yeah, well, plumbing is water, electricity is electricity, that's obvious. You need some people for HVAC, which is gas and air conditioning. Um, you want to have, uh, even you may want to have a couple of people for foundation to make sure that there's foundational support. And if you ever have foundation issues, because when they're mm -hmm. small, it's easy to fix. You can, like people see a, a cracked foundation and think it's the end of the world. If it hasn't started the buckle, you can actually fix that foundation problem for as low as a thousand bucks. If it started mm -hmm. the buckle, different conversation um yeah. but the point is you still need to know who to call so I, yeah. as many trades workers you can find it's best to have them in your thing and at least this way when they have a relationship with you and they start to realize that you're an investor they realize oh you're not calling them from one home you're going to buy multiple homes they're going to want a service you're going to say hey they're going to cost a lot of times you'll need a roofer as well wow. right a window person but again it, you know start off with the lawyer Realtor, mortgage broker, home inspector. Then you can build everything else as you need them. Good point. Definitely good point. Okay. I'm going to shift this conversation for a minute. I want to kind of have a little bit of um, fun with life experiences in this. So I'm going to ask you to share with us if you can think of the, I'd say the, the biggest or the most nightmarish experience you've had with 
either an investment or or something along those lines. Hmm. And I'm okay. So or, or our biggest problem, whatever you can think of in the, in that realm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can tell you one one interesting experience as I I'll tell you a story about myself and a, a short story about uh, a listing I had. I went okay. to do uh, a listing and um, right away when I saw it, something could be was off. I, I didn't know what at the time, but something was off. And I'm looking and I'm looking and looking and things on the market. And I'm going to my car. One of the neighbors pulls up and goes, "Hey, are you listing? Are you, are you the agent for that unit?" Yeah. Goes, oh, how's it look inside? All right, why? Goes, yeah, just so you know, because I'm not sure if they're going to tell you or not, but that was the home that was uh, uh, that uh, has been repaired. It was burnt down. Oh wow! Now that's something you're supposed to know. But of course, people get worried, like, oh, if we find that, we're going to lose money. So they try to hush. Mm-hmm. Right. So I found out about that. So that kind of freaky because again, if it's been completely repaired by, especially by insurance and proper permits, doesn't matter anymore. Right. But the thing is, if somebody's hush hush about it and doesn't want you to know, it makes you wonder: Did they take shortcuts? Mm-hmm. Right now, that happened to be fine, and you know, it's one of one of those that that unit happened to be perfectly fine. There was nothing wrong with it. But I just mm-hmm. found it odd that they were, you know, like they weren't honest about it. So, yeah. anyways, that was kind of that could have been a scary situation. Wow. Now, so I'm glad uh, it worked out okay, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, there was, uh, I bought a place for myself, totally, totally, totally bypassed the home inspection. And when I moved in, I started noticing things and there was a crack in the wall that I would have been behind a shelf or something that I wouldn't have seen. Now I looked at it and go, I knew I needed a home inspection. Why? I tell people this. I yelled at clients before, and I don't mean metaphorically. I've actually yelled at clients before saying, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you do this? And the exact same thing I tell them not to do, I just did. Now, where it could have been scary is that could have been cracks in the cracks in the, uh, in the wall. Usually means there's a lot of shifting. It's, it could be bad. Right. This case, I was lucky. It was uh, basically something stupid. Basically, what ended up happening is they tried to do a repair job, probably. My guess, I don't know what happened exactly. My guess is they probably had a kid who was playing around, put a hole in the wall, and they just didn't fix it properly. Mm. Right? Just Just a crappy job. But it could have been bad. That was a learning lesson. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, I've heard so many nightmares and I don't know about you, but you know, I've watched HGTV way too many times. So I've seen all of the nightmares on there. And so I was like, let's hear some real life stories here. Right. Okay. So let's take this in the opposite direction. What's a really great experience that you've had in an investment property or something of that nature? Hmm. Great experience. I don't, well, that's easy. Landlord, attendants pay you. When they pay you, that's a great experience. <laughs> well. It's, uh, it's uh, which comes up to another key component. When you're investing, if you have the opportunity or option, try to choose 
to invest in landlord friendly states mm. because uh and i see this as a realtor all the time it's really funny because i tell this to clients and people are just trying to figure out what's wrong with me i'm a realtor my message is do not buy a house in ontario and just so you know i'm an ontario realtor hmm. um i always say if you want to buy a house to live in it's great it's amazing it'll appreciate and they're gorgeous but do not buy a house as a rental unit. Ontario is one of the worst places you can buy. Worst, we have a landlord and tenant board. I call it the tenant board. There's nothing there for landlords. So it's, uh, and it takes you 18 months to see them. So imagine a tenant stops paying you, 18 months of not paying you and you can't kick them out. Mm. So it's a terrible place for that. Now, there's a lot of landlord-friendly places. Now, when I say landlord, like the also advice is don't be a scumlord. Um, right. Like, I'm talking about being fair, right? The idea is you don't want the rental restrictions because if you have a person who doesn't pay, out they go. That simple. But if they pay, if you have a good client, here's another thing. That, oh, I'm glad we're talking about this. This is perfect. Now, look at a renter. The same way that if you had a business that you would see your customer walking in the door. Too many people look at a renter as their enemy, like they're scum. And too many renters look at the landlords as their scum. You know, mm. those rich bastards who just want to, uh, you know, you know, bleed us dry. It's got to be a two-way street. And here's what I mean. If you look at the renter as a client, like if you go to a shoe store and you're buying shoes, you're the client. You're buying shoes. The person at the... Uh, at the front counter, it walks up to you and it doesn't go around and say, oh, that scum girl is going to buy shoes. The scum's here. Nobody does that, right? What do they do? Mm-hmm. Oh, can I help you with anything? What size would you like? You know, do you wear? Would you like to try those on? Oh, we have a special going on and we would like to, you know, I thought you might be interested. They're trying to be helpful. So if somebody's helpful like that, you build loyalty. You want to shop there all the time, right? Mm-hmm. A renter for a landlord is the same. Now, they're not going to shop there all the time, but they're going to live there. And the more comfortable they are living there, the more happy they are. And the more happy they are, the more they're going to want to make it look pretty because they're so happy being there. And the more they want it to look pretty, the more they're going to take care of the property and the less hassles they're going to give you. Right. And, and it's going to help the property value too. Because 1,000%. So, and that's it. Now, if you cheat them and you and, and, and say, here comes the dirty tenants, they're bastards, get them out of here. If that's the way they feel, they start feeling not good about being there. Then yeah. start, all of a sudden things happen to them. And I, mm, you know what? Screw the landlord. I don't care if I pay him this month. I got to fix my car. Screw him. All of a sudden, and it starts off that way. And the next thing you know, it's a constant tug of war. And, and then everybody's hating each other versus collaborating together, working together for the better goal. The goal of them having a comfortable, happy enjoyment in the property and the goal of you getting appreciation from that property. Everybody wins. I like it. I like it. Okay. As we get ready to start closing this out, I want to ask you one final question. And this is more for uh, motivation, encouragement, um, things of that nature. What is a quote that you love or that you want to share with the audience 
Ooh, my favorite. I know, to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, there's not so much motivating, but it is my favorite quote. Okay. Motivation alone is not enough. Because mm. if you take an idiot and you motivate him, all you get is a motivated idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> it was by a man named Jim Rohn. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard that one before. That was, yes, that is definitely funny. Yes, I like that. So thinking of that, motivation alone is not enough. What else would you say they need? Hmm. Well, okay, yeah. Well, one thing is determination, grit, and um, and patience. Yeah. And remember, even when things seem tough and you want to give up, give it one more day. That part. That part. And like you said, you said determination. That is 100%. Um, one of the key factors, determination, you said grit. Um, I would personally probably add on um, a little bit of discipline, right? Yeah. You, know, you, 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 you don't have to be, you know, OCD structured with it, but you got to have some kind of discipline in there. You can't just wake up and be like, ah, I think I'm going to try this today. Wake up tomorrow and be like, I think I'm going to try this today. Like you, you kind of have to have a little bit of a plan there, right? 100%. <laughs> Cool. Well, John, I have loved this conversation. Um, definitely learned a, a few new things myself, um, putting my little tool belt there. Um, so I definitely appreciate that. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, connect with you, where can they reach you? And then is there anything that you have that you want to share with the audience, uh, you know, offer freebie, anything of that nature? Okay, well, you can find me even on Instagram at, uh, just on my name, John Papaloni, J-O-H-N-P-A-P-A-L-O-N-I. Um, or even just go to uh, papalonicapital.com. Right now, it'll forward to my mortgage website, but it has all my links in there as well. Cool, 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 cool. All right, well, with that being said, we have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you so much again for being on um go check him out on um, social media if you didn't catch that um that the name for his instagram or his link don't worry about it i've got it in the show notes for you um and remember that we have regular workshops going every single month over here at dr michelle marie wealth coaching. You can check that out at www.financialabundanceblueprint.com forward slash workshop for more information. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.